This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Uh, up and down start to the season for them. Yesterday, for the first time, they beat somebody other than the Miami Marlins. They'll go for the series win tomorrow, and they'll send Tyler McGill to the mound in the rubber match of a three-game set against San Diego. McGill was terrific in the home opener last Friday in their 9-3 to win over the Miami Marlins Yankees. Continue to play well and slow and steady is how I would describe it. And there's nothing wrong with that over the course of a 162 game season. Now, can you pick up that pace where you win two out of every three games? If, if you if you do keep up that pace, then you win 108 games, and that's uh, in rarefied air. But the Yankees, 11 to two winners, they are uh, seven and four overall this year. Garrett Cole's three and zero with a 1.40 earned run average after his three starts. So Cole on top of a Yankees rotation uh, that boasts Nestor Cortez and Johnny Brito that has been brilliant collectively in their first seven starts of the season. And this is a Yankees team without Carlos Rodon, without Luis Severina, without Frankie Montas as well. Rodon is on the injured list due to a forearm and elbow injury. And now he is also dealing with some back tightness. So that's delayed his next live batting practice session. That's what Aaron Boone said earlier today on the Talking Yanks podcast. But the Mets lose 4-2 to two to the Padres at City Field. Again, they dropped to 6-6. Six and six. And to talk more about that, we have Pat Regazzo who covers the Mets for SI and uh, a frequent guest of the show to talk all things Mets. Pat, how you doing tonight? I'm great, Pat. How are you? Thanks for I'm having me. I'm doing well. Well, a frustrating night for the Mets. Obviously, they had that chance in the ninth inning with two runners on and the tying run on second base with two outs and the count runs full, and they almost got to Hayter. Uh, but overall, it's a night where you get a good pitching performance from Peterson and, unfortunately, not enough offense. Yeah, and that's kind of been the tale so far through the Mets' 6-6 six and six start. Uh, uh, they're in the bottom of the league and hitting with runners in scoring position. They loaded the bases in the first inning against Weathers, and they were unable to score a run. Of course, had that chance in the ninth inning with Francisco Alvarez up against Hayter, and Alvarez was charged up, of course, like pressing in that at bat trying to do too much. And, you know, he's a rookie, and he's a prospect, and he's supposed to be a really good one. So, you know, you'd think that these experiences are good, are good for a guy, but, uh, yeah, unfortunately the Mets just couldn't get the big hit tonight. What is Alvarez's role on this team right now? Is he going to continue to get the majority of starts behind the plate? I think because the Mets value Thomas Nito's defense as much as they do, I think it's going to be more of a shared role as we've seen so far since he's been called up. Uh, but, you know, Alvarez is probably going to play a majority of the time against lefties. Um, I think the Mets uh, see him in that role. And uh, you could see some time in the DH spot as well as in addition to catching. But he's done a pretty good job so far. Uh, you know, in the catcher's at the catcher's position. You know, you talk about the hitting overall, and Alonzo has had that power surge early on uh, this season. But you look at the lineup, and I was just looking at this after this current game. They have seven players uh, with enough at bats to qualify for a batting title, and only one of them is hitting above two fifty six. Now, Nemo's average is low, but he's getting on base left and right, um, and he's doing his job in that regard. Alonzo does have the power surge, but you know, you look at guys, Pat, like Escobar, uh, McNeil hasn't gotten off to a great start. Lindor has been very slow out of the gates. I mean, there's a lot of empty spots in that lineup right now. Yeah, the lineup has struggled beyond Pete Alonso and, and Nimmo, of course, getting on base. The lineup has struggled to hit for average, struggled to 
you know, in the timely hitting category of hitting with runners in scoring position. Um, McNeil and Lindor got big RBI hits last night, but weren't able to come through tonight, uh, particularly Lindor in an RBI situation struck out tonight. Um, but, uh, you know, it's early, and uh, you'd think that those guys would come around, but right now that's kind of the recipe of why they're, you know, off to the sixth and sixth start. On the other side, like we said, we got a, they got a good pitching performance from David Peterson tonight. He gave up the one mistake to Manny Machado, the two-run double in the sixth inning uh, with two outs. He almost got out of that inning, and that ultimately was the difference for a while until they tacked on the two-run home run late. But overall, what, what is the status of the Mets rotation? I mean, uh, Sang has been terrific, but overall, what is the status of the Mets rotation right now? I think it's pretty promising after the last two starts by Scherzer and, and David Peterson seeing what they were able to do. Um, obviously, you know, you, you had to be nervous watching Scherzer in his first couple starts. He was giving up, giving up a lot of hard contact and uh, really wasn't himself. But, uh, but he, you know, even though he only lasted five innings last night, uh, he still, you know, only gave up one hit and, you know, pitched five scoreless and was able to, you know, produce a pretty quality start. Um, and then Peterson, of course, you know, only giving up the two runs to a really good Padres lineup tonight. And then guys like McGill and Kodai Senga have also pitched pretty well out of the gate. Um, the one concern I would say is Carlos Carrasco, who has, has had two poor starts in a row to start start his year. But, um, you know, he's coming off a solid season last, last year. And, uh, you know, you'd think that he'd probably come around. But right now, I think as far as the starting rotation goes, uh, you have to be, you know, at least a little encouraged, you know, through these last couple of days. Pat Ragazzo covers the Mets for SI.com. Mets lose to the Padres 4-2 to two at City Field. Uh, they'll go for the series win tomorrow in the rubber match. Pat, what are they saying about Kodai Senga? You know, we didn't know a ton about him coming over. Obviously, he warranted the contract that he signed, and there was a lot of excitement. Uh, but now that we've seen him for two starts, and he's been really good in both of those starts, what are they saying in that clubhouse about Senga? Well, everybody's really impressed with Senga, what he's been able to do. Uh, he's been getting a lot of strikeouts with his ghost fork pitch. And uh, he showed great composure. I mean, uh, you know, this, this is a guy who came from the developmental league in Japan and, and rose to stardom over there, which doesn't, you know, doesn't typically happen. And, uh, you know, he's a guy who's been able to, you know, overcome adversity. And, uh, you know, he has a good head on his shoulders. And uh, the team's very encouraged with, uh, with what he's been able to do in his first two starts. Has Buck acknowledged the ghost four pitch yet? <laughs> Not yet, but, uh, <laughs> you, you know, everybody's kind of said the same thing about it, just that, that it's, you know, it's a filthy pitch, and so far it's been as good as advertised. How about the bullpen? Um, you know, opening day they brought Diaz out to the top step, and that's unfortunately as far as he could go to get a nice ovation as they played Timmy Trumpet. But, you know, he's not there, and that is such a huge loss considering how much they relied on him last year. Uh, what kind of a start has this Mets bullpen gotten off to this year? I would say it's gotten off to a pretty solid start. I mean, David Robertson hasn't given up a hit or hasn't given up a run yet, I should say. Um, Adam Adamino's looked pretty good. Brooks Raley and Drew Smith have done their jobs. Um, you know, they have guys in middle relief like Dennis Santana and uh, Tommy Hunter when he gets comes back from the IL. But uh, but so, so far, so good with the bullpen. I mean, Diaz is a huge loss and he's irreplaceable, but uh, Robertson's looked pretty good as the uh, de facto closer. I mentioned the batting averages earlier and the one with an average above 256 is Starling Marte and he's at 297 right now got another hit tonight in four at bats uh, you look at Marte play day in and day out you really do realize how much this team missed him at the end of last season in the stretch run of the playoffs how much they missed his production at the top of this lineup 
Yeah, they definitely did miss him in September. Uh, you know, the offense really struggled, you know, once he got hurt. And um, and he's a really important player on this team. He's he's electric and, uh, you know, he's he's very important out of that number two hole. And, uh, and yeah, they're, they're hoping that they'll be able to keep him healthy. He had a health scare the other day uh, on Easter where he, uh, he strained his neck slotting into third base. Uh, but he was back in the lineup tonight. He seems to be to be doing better. And, uh, and yeah, he's, he's a very important piece of this lineup and this team. You know, Pat, you look at some of the hitters that have gotten off to slow starts. You know, Lindor is Lindor. Nimmo, the average is below 200, but he's walking at least two times every game, it seems. You know, Kana hasn't looked terrible. McNeil won the batting title last year. The one guy I'm concerned about, and I'm not sure if he's going to bounce back and give them what they need, is Eduardo Escobar at third base. His average down to 111, uh, his slugging percentage right now at 222. How big of a concern is it, uh, Escobar's lack of production? Well, yeah, he had that really hot September last year. He hit eight home runs and drove it. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. RBIs and... uh, and things were really turning around for him, but uh, he's off to a really slow start. Um, you know, it is early, but, you know, he's he's really struggled. And uh, he had a home run over the weekend, but besides that, he hasn't really done much. Um, the Mets have a top prospect in Brett Beatty, who plays third base, waiting in the wings and is tearing it up down in AAA Syracuse right now. So um, I, I think Escobar, you know, is, is going to have to pick it up. Otherwise, you know, his job might not be safe down the, lo- down the line. When can we see Verlander on the mound? So he's actually – Verlander's going down to Florida to Port St. Lucie to continue his rehab. And uh, Buck Showalter said, told us today that the expectation is that Verlander will pitch in a rehab start before he comes back. Um, but he's still a little bit of ways away. He still has to throw a bullpen session, and he still has to face live hitters before he gets into game action. Um, so I would say sometime after their West Coast swing that they're about to go on. How about Pete Alonso start in a lineup that, you know, there hasn't been a lot of production. It hasn't been that long of a lineup. You know, Alonso going through that recent stretch of four home runs in a three-game span, he's really carried a lot of the load early on. Yeah, he has, and his his power is, is important to this team in this lineup, and this is a lineup that kind of lacks power beyond Alonso. So when he's hitting home runs, it's a good thing for the Mets. And, uh, and yeah, he's also a really good start, five home runs uh, in, in 12 games, and, um, you know, the Mets are hoping that he can continue that. You know, it's an interesting stretch coming up. You have this 10-game West Coast road trip that starts in Oakland this weekend. Uh, it got a little bit of a soft, you know, landing spot on this season, being able to play the Marlins in two of their first three series. But – uh, what are you looking forward to for this upcoming trip? What are you looking to learn from this team during this tough stretch out West? Well, I think that it's definitely uh, – the series against the Dodgers is really going to tell us a lot uh, where the Mets – how they match up in the National League and in, in, the, in the entire league itself. Uh, you know, are they one of the top teams, top contenders? Can they hang with the Dodgers who are, you know, who are one of those top teams? Um, I think it's going to really tell, tell a lot about where this team's going this year. But the way that they've pitched, especially these two games against the Padres, I mean, on many people's boards, the Padres are the favorites to win the National League this year. I think there are definitely some encouraging signs the way the Mets have pitched against the San Diego lineup the first two games. Yeah, it's definitely very promising to see how they pitched and kind of held, you know, a high-powered lineup in check. And, uh, you know, it was it was worrisome after, you know, what, how they pitched against the, the Milwaukee Brewers last week. But, uh, but yeah, they've, they've definitely been able to uh, to go out there and perform against the Padres, who are, have a really tough lineup. 
I asked you about Alvarez before, and he had the, the key at-bat of the game, the game-ending strikeout against Josh Hader. And, you know, you mentioned Nito's defense is going to keep him in the lineup, at least in the interim. Does Alvarez stick on the roster, though? Does he stay at the big league level, as far as you can tell? For the time being, he will. Um, Omar Navarez is probably going to miss up to two months, they said. So, uh, you know, in the meantime, Alvarez is going to stick up here and uh, he's going to get at-bats and he's going to get playing time and uh, and valuable experience in the big leagues. Overall, what would you say is the best sign for the Mets through the first 12 games of this season? Um, <laughs> the best sign for the Mets, uh, I would say, is, is probably has probably come out of this series with the Padres, at least that they were able to to win one, and if they win the series tomorrow, then that's promising too because, uh, you know, the Padres are a very good team. Um, but, but yeah, they're, they've kind of gotten off to a sluggish start, so there haven't been too many, uh, too many positive signs. But uh, I, I would say, you know, what they've been able to do against the Padres and also the, the start by Pete Alonso, of course. Yeah, those five home runs off to a terrific start there. Pat, great stuff as always. Thanks for the time, and we'll talk to you down the line. Great. Thanks so much for having me, Pat. Always good chatting with Pat Ragazzo, who covers the Mets for Sports Illustrated. Mets lose to the Padres 4-2. They're 6-6. Six six. It's been a mixed bag so far for the Mets. They, they really do. I mean, their record, in my eyes, encapsulates who they are right now. They're a 500 team. And it just, we're talking about this team differently than we did last year. Remember, the Mets got off to that scorching start last season. They were in first place until the very last weekend of the regular season, as we all know. But they were a juggernaut from the start last year. And this team just, it feels different. And it's not as good. You know, when I say different, a lot of times you mean, ah, I don't necessarily mean not as good. No, in, in this case, I don't think the team is as good, which is frustrating, disappointing, because we know that they went out and spent a ton of money in the offseason on Senga and on Justin Verlander. Now, you haven't seen Verlander yet, and they spent a ton of money on Edwin Diaz, and you're not going to see him. And there was that moment where Mets fans thought that Carlos Correa was part of the equation as well, and they were going to spend a ton of money on him. And obviously, that didn't work out, and he's not part of the equation. So a lot of the money that the Mets either spent or were presumed to have spent in the offseason hasn't been on the field yet at all. Diaz, Verlander, Correa, and Correa's not coming at all. Diaz isn't coming at all this season. So it's basically, it's Senga so far. He's been great. Two starts. He's been terrific. The rotation's good. You know, Scherzer had an okay start. He had a bad start. As long as Scherzer's healthy, he's going to be fine. As long as Verlander's healthy, he's going to be fine. But Verlander's not healthy yet. You know, you hope that he gets back soon. Sanga's been terrific. McGill, last year, did a really nice job early in the season holding down the fort. He's in that same exact role right now. He was terrific on opening day at City Field last Friday. He pitches again tomorrow. But, look, last year, we expected the Mets to beat everybody, you know? I remember those showdowns with the Dodgers of the top two teams, and the Dodgers had a ridiculous record last season. And when the Mets went up against the Dodgers late in the season, it was a measuring stick series. And the Mets were a juggernaut, and they were expected to take on all comers. And now it just feels like, ah, you know, it's uh, we're and, – and I feel the same way as Pat, who we just had on. You know, oh, it's a good sign. You know, they 
shut the Padres out yesterday. They held them to four runs today. That's that's a good sign. That's not really you know what you want to aspire to if you're a team with the Mets payroll and the Mets expectations. But it's 12 games. It, but it just it feels different. You know, you look at this lineup. The pitching I think is going to be fine, especially when Verlander returns. But you look at the lineup. And almost everybody's struggling. So who's not going to struggle? Who's going to turn it around? You know, Nimmo is batting 188, but he's got a 413 on base percentage. Marte's fine. Is Lindor going to turn it around? Probably. Alonzo's fine. Is Canna going to turn it around? I don't know. Is McNeil going to turn it around? Probably. You know, you've got Tommy Pham playing a lot in the outfield right now. Is Escobar going to turn it around? I don't know. He does not look good at all. That could be a spot where we see Brett Beatty. Once again, you're getting nothing offensively out of the catching position. And on a night like tonight where you get a good pitching performance by Peterson against a top-notch lineup with Bogarts and Machado and Soto and Cruz and Cronenworth. I mean, that's their top five. There's not a better top five in Major League Baseball. And obviously, they don't have Tatis yet. And Peterson holds them to nearly six shutout innings, except the one mistake he made, the two-run double by Manny Machado in the fifth inning to give the Padres a two-to-one lead and ultimately the lead for good in this game. And you go one for eight with runners in scoring position. It's frustrating, and you've seen that a couple of times this year. And you wonder, like, where would this offense be without Pete Alonso's production, without his hot streak earlier in the week where he hit four home runs in a three-game span and has five home runs on the season. But they're 6-6. Six and six. You know, they're treading water right now. And you're going to need to see improvements from several players in that lineup for them to get back to where they were last year. And you're going to need to see Verlander come back. And you're going to have to hope that the bullpen continues to pitch well because they haven't been a problem yet. And that's probably the easiest spot to fix on the roster later in the season because you just take somebody's closer on a team that's not in playoff contention. There's always a handful of those guys who you can plug in and add some depth to your relief core. But a frustrating loss tonight because they had their opportunities and they had a chance to take the first two games of the series against the Padres. And again, they just haven't been able to find their traction yet early in the season. Uh, we'll get some thoughts from Buck Showalter after the Mets loss, and we'll also dive back into what the Yankees did earlier and they're pretty good start to the season as they now sit at 7-4. and four. They're at halftime in the NBA play-in game in Los Angeles. And the Timberwolves, with a flurry at the end of the second quarter, lead the Lakers 60-49. to 49. So might this be a night where both underdogs go on the road, pull off upsets, and punch their ticket to the NBA playoffs. The Atlanta Hawks have already done it as they beat the Heat in Miami 116-105. to And these severely undermanned Timberwolves, I mean, look, everything was lined up for the Lakers, and there's still a half of basketball to play. But for them to come out and be trailing by 11 at halftime, 60-49 to to a Minnesota team playing without the suspended Rudy Gobert, big first half for the Timberwolves. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Plenty of it for you. The Yankees and the Guardians, 110 first pitch in Cleveland. 
And the Padres and the Mets, 110 first pitch at City Field. Good pitching matchup in that game between Tyler McGill, who's 2-0 with a 1.64 ERA against Blake Snell, the former Cy Young Award winner who's off to a tough start. Clark Schmidt gets the ball for the Yankees, and he is in the have-nots category when you split up the two groups of Yankee starters, the haves being Garrett Cole, who was brilliant again tonight, Nestor Cortez, and Johnny Brito, who, if you notice, was not sent back down to the minors after his second start like he was in his first because he is now the Yankees' clear number three starter. Those are the haves. The have-nots are Schmidt and Domingo Herman, who have combined to make four starts and are 0-1 with a 7.53 earned run average. So Clark Schmidt will make his third start of the season tomorrow for the Yankees. Uh, but the Yankees have enough guys playing well most notably those three pitchers at the top of the rotation. Yankees are 7-4, and four, and it's kind of clear-cut. Uh, when Cole, Cortez, and Burrito start, the Yankees win. When Herman and Schmidt start, the Yankees lose 7-4. and four. But they do have guys that are hitting. Judge is hitting, and Rizzo is hitting, and Torres is hitting, and Stanton is hitting. Uh, LeMahieu is starting to come around. You even got a little something from Aaron Hicks with two hits tonight. And, of course, Franchi Cordero has given them a huge, huge lift in his very limited opportunity. But that opportunity, you figure, will continue to increase because he's got three home runs and 10 RBIs in six games so far this season. Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 ESPN New York. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Eli in Washingtonville on this Tuesday night. Eli, how you doing? <laughs> Hey, Pat. Yeah, I'd like to, uh, to talk about the Yankees and, uh, and their start. Um, you know, it's it's kind of good to see Gleyber Torres in, um, you know, having such a hot start, which, you know, really in my opinion, I think you should trade him now before he starts uh, going south. Uh, but, uh, listen, uh, I just want to talk about, you know, the start of the Rays again. And, it's listen, it's just here we go again. Like, the Yankees right now, fine. You, you, they're kind of missing a couple of pitchers, and you know, left field is still like a, you know, a, a Russian roulette right now. And uh, you know, even you know, and also with, uh, you know, when this guy start, comes back, Donaldson, of course they're gonna stick him in in, in in third base and have an automatic out. And then IKF is all, is all of a sudden gonna make an appearance every now and then. Listen, I still think the Yankees are good enough to make the playoffs, but we're not good enough to make the World Series. I think it, it, I still think it's a crapshoot, and I don't know what it is about the front office of the Rays. They just keep on finding talent over and over again to, like, revamp this team tenfold every time. And the Yankees cannot do this not once. And they have, like, a, a triple their payroll. I agree. It's amazing. It's really amazing what the Rays do, Eli. And I think, simply put, I think the reason why the Rays are able to keep finding talent the way they do is because they have to. There is no other option for them in putting together a ball club than the way they do it. They're never going to have, I mean, those games are empty. There's no fans in there still after all these years. And all this franchise does is win. And they're 11-0 and now. And if you look at their schedule, it has been 
other than the last two games against the Red Sox, their schedule has been ridiculously easy. They started off with three games against the Tigers at home. The Tigers are terrible. And then they had back-to-back series against the two teams that are supposed to be the two worst in baseball. A three-game series in Washington, they swept the Nationals. And then a three-game home series against the A's, and they swept them. But now the Red Sox came in, and they beat them 1-0. And tonight they beat them 7-2. And now all of a sudden they're 11-0. and And they have a four-game lead on the Yankees. Now, if you're the Yankees, you're not worried about that four-game lead. If you're the Yankees, you just continue doing what you're doing. But you have to be, and you are, at least I am, year after year, just so incredibly impressed with the Tampa Bay Rays, what they are able to do with their resources. And you look at some of these games. I mean, they had three shutouts in a row before tonight. They beat the A's 11-0. Then they beat them 11-0 again. And then they beat the Red Sox one to nothing last night before beating them seven to two. We know about their pitching, which has been brilliant, but they're hitting so far this year. They've played eleven games, and they've got twenty five home runs. Wander Franco has four home runs. Brandon Lau has four home runs. Uh, Yandy Diaz has three home runs. Harold Ramirez has three home runs. I mean, up and down. Luke Raley has three home runs. It's, it's amazing what this team does and what this franchise does year after year. As for the Yankees, Yankees are in good shape because they have a few important pieces that they haven't seen yet, most notably in that pitching rotation. I gave you the update earlier on Carlos Rodon. This is from Aaron Boone during an appearance on the Talking Yanks podcast. Uh, Rodon is obviously out with a forearm elbow injury. And now he's apparently dealing with, as Boone said, some back tightness. That has delayed his next live batting practice session. It was supposed to be either yesterday or today. Uh, But as far as the elbow goes, Boone says that Rodon's elbow is doing great. Meanwhile, Luis Severino had a bullpen session yesterday. He threw about 25 pitches. He plans to throw another bullpen session on Thursday. And if that goes well... He'll start to face hitters. That was the report from Meredith Morakovitz on yes. And Harrison Bader took full machine batting practice, and he says he feels great. Boone said that Bader could possibly begin a rehab assignment sometime next week. Uh, the last caller did bring up a thought that kind of, if you're you know, liking the way the Yankees are right now, makes you cringe, and that is what happens if Josh Donaldson comes back and is healthy enough to play again. Are they going to plug him back in at third base? I certainly hope not. You know, at at a certain point, you have to. And I mean, this sounds so simplistic, but it's not always the case. But at a certain point, you have to do what's best for your franchise. And it's crazy to think that this team started the season with Josh Donaldson Aaron Hicks, and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa all on its roster. And roster spots being at such a premium nowadays because teams carry so many more pitchers than they used to. A lot of times you have four or five bench players. One of them is a backup catcher. So now we're talking three or four bench players. And you had Hicks, Kiner-Falefa, and Josh Donaldson as three of those players on your opening day roster. It's unbelievable. 
We'll see what they do if and when Donaldson comes back. You don't want to think about that yet because they've got a really good thing going in their infield. Uh, interesting game going on in Los Angeles between the Lakers and the Timberwolves. The T-Wolves lead 65-55. They're underway in the third quarter. The winner of this game is in the playoffs as the number seven seed, and it'll take on the Memphis Grizzlies in the first round. And the loser's not out. The loser will have one more chance to get in. On Friday night, the loser of this game will host the winner of Oklahoma City and New Orleans, and that would be a win-and-you're-in game on Friday night. But the Lakers are hoping not to have to deal with that, uh, especially the state that the Timberwolves were in coming into this. I think this result is surprising a lot of people so far, but there's a lot of basketball still to be played. Uh, we'll get more into the NBA playoffs. The Knicks-Cavs series a day closer, game one on Saturday in Cleveland. Of course, you can hear it right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. We'll talk about that and more as we continue here on 98.7. You know, it really does make you realize how good of a season the Knicks had because if you go back to October before the season began, you know, two years ago, the Knicks made the playoffs, kind of came out of nowhere, grabbed that fourth seed, lost to the Hawks in five games, and it was clear the last three games that the Knicks weren't in the same class as the Hawks at that time. Uh, so it kind of, after such a terrific season, left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. And the next year, they took a step back. Randall took a step back. Um, they didn't have a point guard. Derrick Rose was injured for most of the season. There were a lot of contributing factors. Uh, some of the free agents they brought in to change the roster around just didn't work. They weren't the right mix. They weren't even in contention. Think about this last year. The Knicks weren't even in contention for the play-in tournament. And this year, back in October, the prevailing thought was that a successful season for the Knicks would be to get into the play-in tournament. I mean, imagine that, and then look at where they are right now in the 4-5 matchup against the Cleveland team that they beat three out of four times in the regular season. And it just has, knowing what we now know about the level of intensity and the level of play that is required in the playoffs, because the Knicks learned that the hard way two years ago against Trey Young and the Hawks. And knowing what we know now, I just feel that this Knicks team is so much better equipped to win a series or at minimum be competitive in that first round series than they were two years ago. Um, I am in the camp that it's already been a successful season. I'm not saying that the Knicks are playing with house money. I think the Knicks have a good chance to win this series, especially if Julius Randle is healthy and at at least 75%. If he's not at 75%, I still think they can win the series, but obviously it's going to be very difficult. Not everybody agrees, and Stephen A. Smith has been on this hill for a while, says that it won't be a successful season for the Knicks if they don't win this series against Cleveland. If Donovan Mitchell sends the New York Knicks home, it ruins everything. They have to win this series to validate everything else that Leon Rose and his staff have been doing at the Garden. It will be a tough pill to swallow if the Knicks are sent home by Donovan Mitchell and the Cavs. Of course it will, but will it ruin everything? Ruin everything we saw this season? The Knicks have a top five offense. When could you ever say that about A, a Knicks team, or B, a Tom Thibodeau coach team? Look at the development. Look what the Knicks have now in Emmanuel quickly. Look what the Knicks have now in Quentin Grimes. Look what the Knicks have in Jalen Brunson. 
You know, Brunson's become so important and such a dynamic force on this team. He should be, when you're listing all the positives that come out of your mouth for the Knicks season, when you're listing all of the positives from the Knicks season, he should be the first one that you speak of. And he's not because he's been so brilliant that you already tend to take him for granted. But don't, because look at all of the things that have happened this season. And to say that it would be meaningless and it would be ruined if the Knicks lose a first-round series to Cleveland, I just think that's silly. I really do. Uh, they sat Brunson the last three games of the regular season. How's the hand? Good. Not getting better. And I'm, I'm able to do whatever I need to do. And that's all you're going to get out of Jalen Brunson, short and sweet there. What does it mean to Brunson to take this team to the playoffs? I think most importantly, it wasn't just me, how this team embraced me with open arms, and, uh, how they've let me you know, be myself and uh, play the way I play. And the relationships we made over this year, you know, it's, been, it's been great. And um, it wasn't just me. It was a credit to everyone, you know, building and sacrificing and just wanting to win. And we were able to you know, get to a, a decent place in, the, in our seating and we have a long way to go for us to get to where we want to go. Now, Brunson sat out the final three games of the regular season after the Knicks had clinched as a precaution. Julius Randle sat out the final five games of the regular season because he couldn't play. And we still don't know if he's going to be able to play by game one on Saturday, which you can hear right here on 98.7 ESPN New York with our pregame coverage starting at 5.30 p.m. Tom Thibodeau was asked about Randle's status heading into this playoff series. Well, he meets with medical every day, so, uh, you know, when he's ready to go, he's ready to go. But good, steady progress each day, a little bit better. Is game one a possibility? Well, uh, game one is, what, Saturday? So we'll see. All right. Is game one a possibility? And no answer there from Tom Thibodeau. R.J. Barrett will be out there. Uh, Barrett nearly averaged 20 points a game this season, but a step backwards from last year in a few regards efficiency wise scoring wise he was a 20 point per game scorer last year finished at 19.6 this season had some big performances had some frustrating performances as well he's going to be a key figure in this series because you know what you're getting from Brunson for the most part and I think Emmanuel quickly is now at the point where you know what you're getting from him we don't know the status of Julius Randle, so that leaves R.J. Barrett as, in many cases, the wild card or the X factor in this series. He was also a key part of the Knicks two years ago, the last time they went to the playoffs and lost in five games to the Hawks. How about this team compared to that one? Us having that experience already, it helps, as well as just continuing to work, and we're, we're a lot better than you know we were. Like The guys that are on this team that, that were in that playoff run, we've all grown and we've all gotten better, so that, that helps. Um, like I said, the experience helps, and just the guys that we have now, you know, in addition, things have been, been working well, and we've just been getting better as a team, so I think, uh, I think we'll be okay. Some final thoughts on the NBA play-in tournament, which is off and running. After we take a quick break here on 98.7 ESPN New York.